the pastor has been teaching on the apostles' doctrine. So I'm going to give you some information before I give you some inspiration. So the 12 apostles we're talking about common men with uncommon callings. The 12 apostles represent the 12 fundamental aspects or faculties that embodied our divine nature. We find the names of the 12 apostles in Matthew 10, 2 through 4, Mark 3, 14 through 19, Luke 6, 13 through 16, and the replacement of Judas Iscariot in Acts 1 and 26. The word apostle at its root means one who is sent. Doctrine is simply teaching. So apostolic doctrine is teaching that comes to us through the apostles, those specifically chosen by Christ to carry his teachings to the world. In the beginning, Jesus worked with these men, prepared them, selected them, and then gave them responsibility. But Jesus was not finished. He poured his life into them. These apostles had no idea about their future, but in years to come, they would turn the world upside down. Their names would become known worldwide and down through the ages. They became famous because they were great spiritual leaders, the hand-chosen ones of God. The church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to continue in the apostles' doctrine because they are the ones who Jesus said would give his instructions to his disciples. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. That's John 16, 12 through 13. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father was sent in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, John 14 and 26. These two passages show that Jesus chose these men to be the ones who will receive the commandments of Christ to give to others. They will be given all of the truth that God's people would need to be pleasing to God. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This mission was given first to the apostles. They are the ones Jesus is talking about here. Their mission was to go and make disciples 
of Christ through baptism and then teaching Christians the commandments of Christ which will be given to them by the Spirit. This mission is also for us since we have the writings of the apostles that include what Jesus wanted his people to learn. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. The foundation of the church includes the apostles. This is implying their teaching is the foundation that the church is built upon. They are the authority that Christ put into place by the Spirit to teach his will and to build his church. Jesus is king, and the apostles are his ambassadors and representatives. Whenever there were questions about what to believe and practice among the churches, Christians went to the apostles and their writings. No matter what the decision was, whether it be the content of the gospel, administering disciples in the church, taking care of the needs among the brethren, what to do during worship, or how to organize worship, they looked to the apostles. They received the teachings of the apostle in all these areas, and they devoted themselves to these teachings. This is what we see in the New Testament and the years following the apostles' death. Their writings were the standard for doctrine and practice, and the same must be the case today. It cannot be stressed enough that if we want to be pleasing to God today as Christians, we must devote ourselves to reading and studying scripture. It doesn't look like that, but it's printed out. It cannot be stressed enough that if we want to be pleasing to God today as Christians, we must devote ourselves to reading and studying scripture. If we want to be Christians like they were in work and worship as church. And worship as churches in the New Testament did and to live our lives as they did, we need to go to the writings of those who gave the commandments of Jesus Christ for his people. This is so important to stress because there are so many who claim they believe in Christ out there that do not devote themselves to the apostles' doctrine, but instead base of their belief and practices on other things. They base so many of their beliefs or how they organize the church or how they worship based on other things. Things that are not su sufficient guide for us to show us if something is pleasing to God under the new commandment. So I'm going to give you a couple examples. Our feelings. You know, we're good about our feelings. So no matter where we believe these feelings are coming from, they are not our source of authority. 
Some believe that the Holy Spirit gives them certain feelings to show God's will for their lives. Trusting our emotions to guide us, even if we believe the Spirit is putting them there, is dangerous. We are, not, we are not told in the New Testament that the Spirit works in the way, and we are told in Scripture that our emotions can lead us in the wrong direction and cannot be trusted. Another example, other people, our family members, no matter who it is, what we are taught needs to be compared to what the apostles taught before it is accepted. The apostles show us what is pleasing to God under the new covenant. They give the commandments of Christ that his disciples need to follow. And the apostles show in their examples what kind of mindset and lifestyles are pleasing to the Lord. The focus of the apostles' testimony is Jesus, his resurrection, and the fact that grace or forgiveness is available. Luke and Acts give us some clues to this. We know that the apostles has been eyewitnesses of Jesus from the baptism to his ascension. So they had seen the gospel lived out right in front of them through the person and work of Jesus. They could testify to his being God's son, working of miracles and teaching, his dying on the cross, his resurrection to a new creation, body, his ascension into heaven, and his sending of his Holy Spirit. We know that at the core of their message was the glory story, the, glory, the gospel story itself. Jesus had passed on his teaching to them by both his life and his teaching to them. We know after his resurrection, Jesus taught them about how the entire Old Testament pointed to him. The whole story is about Jesus. He is the Messiah. So we can clearly say at the core of the apostles' teaching was the gospel of Jesus, the full good news story. So the disciples, this is where I'm going to give you some information. Some of you may know it. But I'm going to refresh your memory just in case you put it in the back seat. The 12 disciples named the apostles were the men chosen by Jesus, the son of the living God. That alone, if there were no other reasons, warrants a Christian special and specific consideration. Their selection was of unusual importance to the master. For so much would depend on these men who would be his own intimate companions. And Jesus did not choose them in any careless or casual manner. These disciples, these disciples, these disciples were not alike. A fact which should encourage every believing Christian as one can be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one class. Conformity to rank, title, or classification, there is portrayed the wide variety among men, thereby revealing clearly that the call to discipleship is not channeled by any identical manner or by a pattern which is always the same. 
Four were fishermen. One was a tax collector. Not one was a priest or ordained clergyman. There were two sets of brothers, yet together they responded to the warm friendship of the Christ and through their lives sounded the strands of new and beautiful spiritual melodies. Jesus was a teacher who inspired, who challenged these men. Jesus was friend who counseled and consoled them in their hours of victory and in their depths of despair. Jesus was redeemer who transformed their loyalties and led them to the Father above, who in turn gave them peace and pardon. So let's talk about our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man, was born in Bethlehem, a town of Judea, some six miles south of Jerusalem. Eight days later, he was circumcised and given the name Jesus, meaning Savior. After the prescribed 40 days with Mary, his mother brought him to the temple for her purification and present him to God. Simon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, recognized him as the Christ, that is, the anointed one of God. The Messiah, later the Holy Family, fled to Egypt to escape Herod's massacre, but returned after his death and settled in Nazareth. When Jesus was 12, he traveled with Mary and his foster father, Joseph, to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. While there, Mary and Joseph lost contact with him and found him eventually in the temple with the doctors who was astonished at his wisdom. Some 18 years later, Christ was baptized by John and manifested as the Messiah. Before beginning his public ministry, he retreated to the desert to fast and pray, during which time he overcame Satan's temptation. For the next three years, Jesus taught, worked miracles to guarantee his divine authority, and gathered around him faithful followers. 12 of whom he chose and trained specifically to his disciples. He accomplished the redemption by his death on the cross. On the third day after this, he rose from the dead. During the next 40 days, he visited his followers a number of times. During one such visit, he commissioned his disciples to teach all nations. Then his work on earth completed, he ascended into heaven. Let's talk about one of the apostles, Andrew. I'll cover some later because as pastor has already stated, it's just going to be an ongoing study. And so I'll give you a few today and whenever the next time come, I'll continue to share those as well. Andrew, the apostle of small things. You can read John 6, 8 through 9. Andrew's Dominant spiritual attribute is strength. The first real friend that Jesus had was Andrew. And the strength he showed was primarily strength of character. Like Peter, his brother, for whom he worked, he was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. Andrew was called the introducer. 
for it was he who introduced his brother to Jesus. As soon as he knew that this was the true Messiah, he brought before him the little boy with the loaves and the fish. When Jesus fed the 5,000 hungry people, it was he that introduced the first of the Greek to Jesus, and it is believed that when he went to bring his brother, Peter, to Jesus, John went with him and called his brother James. Andrew was there when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the River Jordan. Many Christians have Andrew as their patron saint. Andrew was a gentleman, for he did all things with gentleness and love. He met his death because he refused to worship a pagan god, forgiven to the end. His last words, according to some legends, were, Would, Father, that I had time to teach truth to my murderers. Let's talk about Bartholomew or Nathaniel, the gallness, the gallless one. You can read some about him in John 1 and 47. Bartholomew was or has an imagination as his a dominant spiritual attribute. So the quality of imagination represented in Bartholomew was the divine imaging quality of creativeness through which spiritual ideas are made manifest. When Philip found Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree and told him he had found the Messiah, Nathaniel's first reply was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel was one of the first six men chosen as a disciple by Jesus who recognized him as a man of vision and imagination. Philip bade him come and see what he had come to Christ and was convinced he declared, Thou art the Son of God, the art King of Israel. As Bartholomew, after Pentecost, he traveled with Philip throughout the east to Mesopotamia, Persia, Egypt, and to Armenia, where he was murdered. John, the apostle of love. You can read something about him in 1 John 4 and 8. John's dominant spiritual attribute is love, known as the beloved disciple. John represents the highest power and the strength, the strongest Christian quality, love. He was the son of the fisherman Zebedee, and he and his brother James, once called sons of thunder, were strong, brave men who sailed the sea in little fishing boats in stormy as well as good weather. John showed his courage and devotion in many ways. It was he who stayed at the foot of the cross, comforting Mary, the mother of Jesus. John was the first to recognize Jesus as his resurrection. Returning from a fishing trip, he looked towards the, sea, he looked towards the shore and saw the lone figure of a man whom he recognized as Jesus. In this portrait, we see John looking toward the shore and saying, it was the Lord. Jesus 
loves his disciple as a brother. It was into John's care that he committed his mother saying, woman, behold thy son. John lived to be a very old man. The Bible tells us he was seen in Jerusalem 15 years after Paul's first visit. He was sent into exile on the island of Patmos, and it was there that he wrote the inspired book of the Bible, the Revelation. Peter, Simon called Peter, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. You can read some about him in Matthew 16 and 16. Peter was eager, aggressive, bold, and outspoken. He can be called the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth because he had the bad habit of speaking before thinking. Jesus called Peter the rock, a symbol of strong and immovable faith, as he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter was a prosperous fisherman. When he was called to follow Jesus, in the beginning, his nature was fiery, impulsive, and it was not easy for him to give up all that he might follow the master. Yet he renounced the world, became a brave and worthy disciple, and finally was chosen by Jesus to lead the disciples in the work they must do after the crucifixion. Peter was told by Jesus that he would deny him three times, which he did. He suffered great remorse, even though it may be, as some scholars believe, that he had been ordered by Jesus to do this. In any case, Peter became a great inspired leader, not only for the original band of disciples who became apostles, but for the 70 other disciples sent forth. And for all the early Christians who followed Jesus, the Christ, even in the face of persecution, exile, and death. Peter preached the gospel all his life, going forth as the others did, to carry the word of God as a light to the people in darkness even given his life in the end, as Jesus did. Mark served as Peter's interpreter and writer. The Gospel of Mark, based upon Peter's record, is known as the Gospel of Action. So I told you earlier, when they were talking about the replacement of the apostle, you can read about the replacement, I'm going to go on, in Acts 1, 15 through 26. So this is when another apostle had to be chosen. The apostles returned to Jerusalem and devoted themselves to prayer. The disciples numbered about 120, including Jesus, mother, and brothers. Peter, acting as leader of the group, said that someone should be chosen to replace Judas Iscariot, who was dead. Peter acted as an authoritative uh, interpreter of scripture, observing that Psalm 69 and 25 had predicted Judas' death 
in Psalms 109 and 8 predicted that someone else would be chosen for his position of leadership. It's important that there be 12 apostles rather than 11. The number 12 symbolically represents the people of God. The 12 apostles were leaders of the nation God was forming from those who, he, who had faith in Jesus. What were the essential qualities of the apostles? We had to have been a disciple of Jesus throughout his ministry. From the beginning to the end, two men matched that description. So the group prayed and cast lots to see which man should be numbered with the apostles and become an appointed witness of Jesus' resurrection. Although many people had seen the resurrection, Jesus and could be witnesses to his resurrection, it seemed that the gospel of 12 apostles formed a group of official witnesses. Choosing a 12th member of this core group of witnesses implies acceptance of Jesus' commission to be his witness in the new situation following his death and his resurrection. This is an act of faith in Jesus and a first step in obedience to his new call. Matthias, Matthias, that word, I don't want to mess it up too many times, was chosen. But Luke tells us nothing more about him. He simply disappears from the story as suddenly as he appeared. So Luke tells us the story. It was for Matthias Sake, rather, it emphasized the number 12 and the disciples' responsibility to witness. So the story also forms an interesting contrast in how to select leaders. In Acts 6, leaders are chosen who are full of the spirit and wisdom and full of faith. But in Acts 1, the apostles look to external characteristics and are unable to make a final decision. They resort to the Old Testament practices of casting lots and asking God to make the decision for them. It is only after they receive the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in them, that they are able to discern who is full of the Spirit. Ironically, or intentionally or not, life in the Old Covenant is contrasted with life in the Spirit. The apostles were so sure that a replacement had to be made for Judas. The question arose since the risen Christ did not seem to give them explicit instructions on the matter, Jesus had told the disciples, he had told the, Jesus had told the apostles that they would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You can read around about Matthew 19 and 28, Luke 22 and 30. Since Judas had defected, it would have seemed necessary that a replacement was needed to bring up the number of apostles to the full complacement of 12. 
this was important because the church saw itself as God's method of reforming his people. The church had inherited the mission of ancient Israel to bring the knowledge of God to his own people as well as to the nation. It needed 12 leaders to take the gospel message to the scattered Jews. Constituted as the 12 tribes, you can read around about it, Acts 26 and 7, James 1 and 1. There was also a cultural reason for having 12 foundational leaders. It had to do with the fact that the church was born, operated, and continued to live within the Jewish community for many decades. The church presented itself to the Jewish nation as the culmination of Israel's hope. It was the spiritual remnant of Judaism that had recognized and accepted Israel's Messiah. For any such more people, there was an organization and symbolic requirement surrounding the number 12. And I'm going to leave you with this closure as I yield the floor to the pastor. In this world of confusion and shifting sands, it's conforming to know that God's word is solid and unchangeable. Twelve men sat at the foot of Jesus Christ for three and a half years. They followed the master wherever he went. They learned of him and had their understanding opened up like no one else. What they received from Jesus Christ, they delivered to their world of the first century. Their letters known as epistles became the foundation of the church. We can know truth from error. Anyone who teaches and preaches what the apostles taught and preached has the truth of God. Anyone who deviates from the teachings of the apostles are in error. Yes. Those who gladly heard the words of the apostles in the first century continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What the scripture reveals is that to hear the teaching of the apostles is to hear the very words of Jesus Christ. They didn't waver or bear the teachings that they had received from the only men who had walked and talked with the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, saints, we must heed Paul's warning. We must continue in the doctrine, and in doing so, we, we will save both ourselves and those that hear us. I yield the floor to the pastor, and that is the teaching of some of the apostles' doctrine. Receive the pastor with praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. She did a good job. I've been, I've been trying to include others in that for a while. But as you can see that there is, this is very important to the New Testament church 
to know why God chose 12 men. And she gave you that information. And God used 12 men for what purpose? To spread the gospel. To what? Continue to spread the word. But there, there's also, it's a parallel between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And so there has to be 12 apostles to reach every tribe that was in Israel. And then, uh, in, in my dissertation, I told you there was a 13th for the Gentiles. And so you can see why all of this was very necessary and we should not take the apostolic calling or the apostolic ministry lightly because it is our responsibility now to take this to the end time world. Uh, a lot of people are trying, has tried everything they can to get around the apostles' doctrine, even to try to uh, discredit it and everything else. But if you don't have, or we don't have the Holy Ghost, we ain't going nowhere. Amen? Let's look at uh, the handout, the apostles' doctrine. Uh, the Apostle Doctrine, let's read what it says in Luke 24, 46 through 49. You have that? It's, it's in your pamphlet or in your... So, are we ready? It's in your handout. Thus it is written... Come on with me now. And thus it is behoove Christ to suffer... And to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and the witness of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And Jerusalem was where they was filled with the Holy Ghost. And then you have Acts 1 and 8. All right, let's read that. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, that let us know wherever God sent them. And, and you'll be surprised. God is still giving instructions to his church to go wherever he sent them. The, the problem the church is having now, we are not adhering to the instruction of God. If we start adhering to the instruction of God, we'll get the same results that the apostles did in early Pentecost. 
we'll get the same instruction, we'll get the same power, because it's the same Holy Ghost, the same God, and the same power that he gives to his disciples. And what are we? The disciples of Jesus Christ. So this, you've you got to... Uh, not think like the think according to the modern thought. God did something new. God has not and is not doing something new. We're just not living up to the call. And we've got to live up to the call. Because you you know why the world looks at the church? They're looking at the church. Can somebody show me? And how can I get this except some man guide me? We're still having the 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 Ethiopian uh, 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 was it, uh, was it Peter in the Ethiopian and he was, was in the chariot going through scripture and he didn't understand. He said, "How can I accept some man guide me? We got to live up to our part." Be ready to you be used by God and know what we believe. It is not God's fault when we let people get us off of our truth. And some of us been in the church 10, 15 years and don't know what we believe. If my children walk away from this, I'm prepared to stay. And I, I, I can speak for my wife, I believe. If I walk away, she's prepared to stay. If she walks away, I'm prepared to stay. If my brothers and sisters walk away, I am prepared to stay because I believe in the apostolic doctrine. What about you? Amen. So this thing here, you've got to have the faith inside of you. You know, not on the outside. And that's where a whole lot of folk, they want to have the gospel on the outside like a, a, like a shawl. They can take it off when they get ready. This got to be on the inside of you. Come hell or high water, come trouble, trouble or trial, come old age or whatever. I'm going to stick and stay. Amen, amen, amen. Then, Let's look at Acts, the second chapter, verse 38. Let's read. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. It's not God's fault because folks don't believe this. I am a live witness that this, this is still happening in 2021. I am a live witness that God is still filling folks with the Holy Ghost to meet the criteria to get it. He ain't filling you with the Holy Ghost if you don't believe him. Come on, saints. You've got to be able to get past Matthew 28 and 19 to get to Acts 2 and 38. There, if you got to argue about the word of God, you ain't going to get it. If you got to debate 
What the early church did versus what Jesus said this would be. What did the apostles do? The apostles act on what Jesus did. And, if, and you can't take the church of the 20th century any further if you don't believe what the apostles, those 12 men that he gave power, and in Revelation you found to find out they hold the very foundation of the church. They are the pillars that the church is built upon. Jesus is the foundation. The apostles are the walls and the ceiling. Amen. And what we've got to remember that, and we've got to keep on telling ourselves and anybody that listens, Jesus will fill you with his spirit. If he can fill you with breath, I know he can fill you with his spirit. Amen. He can fill you with the Holy Ghost. I don't care what sin, where you came from, how you got here, what you've been through, how tall you are, what your color, what your attitude, he can still feel you. With the gift of the Holy Ghost. And may I add, you haven't received, uh, you haven't experienced any freedom. Like receiving the gift of the Holy And I think we forget that as we go along. The, the freedom that came with it. The burden that got lifted. The, 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 the troubles and the weight that came off of you. Once you got filled with the Holy Ghost. The cleanness. The cleanness all by itself. You felt good about yourself for the first time in your life. Amen. You were able to forgive yourself for all that you did and all that you've been through and all the mishaps that you had. And that's what you did after you received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now let's read Acts 4 and 12. Now notice this, and this is very important because a lot of people believe there's a lot of ways to be saved. No, it is not. Let's read. Neither for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus' name is all you need to tell the devil to get back and get off of you. The devil knows that Jesus got power over him because he spent 40 days and 40 nights with him in the wilderness. The devil knows Jesus' credentials. He knows that he came from God. He knows that he is the word. And he knows that he, he that's why demons, demons, knew who he was. He didn't have to introduce himself. Look in that Bible. He didn't have to endure, introduce himself to nail spirit that he ran across. But men didn't know who he was. But the demons and devils knew who he was. Isn't that amazing? No, 
a name given among men whereby we must be saved. When you feel weak, you can call on him for strength. When you feel like giving up, you can call, Lord, I need some help. I need some help, Lord. I don't know how to go through this, Jesus, but you were tempted in all points like we were or like we are or like we're going to be. You were tempted. You know how to walk this walk. You know how to talk this walk. You know it all. And I need you and I need you now. I need thee. The old church used to sing, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Do not pass me by, oh gentle Savior, for all no other thou art calling. Don't pass me by. Then, 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 oh We have Galatians 1 and 9. As, come on, let's read. As we said before, so now, now again, if a man preach any other gospel unto you than which have received, let him be accursed. All these churches that don't preach Jesus, Jesus' name, Jesus is the Savior, they are cursed. They curse right now and they're going to be cursed later. You can't get to heaven on no false doctrine. You can't get to heaven living any kind of way. You can come to a holiness church and not believe the doctrine and you're still going to hell. I've run across all kinds in my time. You'd be surprised that the amount of churches that are in the holiness movement is just in there, but they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They don't believe, believe in water baptism in Jesus' name, but they're under the, uh, under the guise of apostolic or Pentecostal. How can you be apostolic if you don't believe the apostolic God? How can you be Pentecostal if you don't believe what happened on the dinner day of Pentecost is credible? You are a liar hidden in the mist. Amen. That's where we get our power from. That's where we get our ability to stick and stay from. That's where we get the uh, a power to root out and cast down the devil. That's where we get it from the power of God that happened in the book of Acts. Come on, come on, come on. And we can't afford to dismiss this thing. Amen. He said, let them be accursed. Now, just because you got loved ones in error, that don't mean God's going to bless them. Can I, can I give you the secret of the New Testament church? You don't pray to be blessed. You want to be blessed. If you're trying to take a court shortcut that God ain't given, uh, uh, you praying, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. Now live right. Walk right. Go by the word. Eat the word. Live the word. That's how you're going to be blessed. 
Let's look at Ephesians 2 and 20. Let's read. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the chief. Now, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. You don't know, in our day, that's that little plaque that he used to have on the building that how it was built. But in the Jewish, it's a corner in the foundation. That cornerstone. That is an important piece of the foundation. If you don't have that cornerstone right, you can get off the foundation. The foundation of the building. If you got a messed up foundation on the building, guess what? The roof ain't going to stand. The walls ain't going to stand. The windows ain't going to stand. It's not going to stand the test of time. But what you come in on, it's been proven. How, how many buildings and how many things did you know that have last 2,000 years? You can see pieces of buildings, but you ain't going to see the whole thing. But look at the church. The church have lasted only because it's built upon Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And it's going to continue to last. If I walk out, if you walk out and don't come no more, there's going to be a foundation. You need to hear this because... We need to talk to ourselves like never before because we it is imperative that we live this because if we don't live it, how is the torch going to be passed on to the next generation? And right now, you can look out there in the world, the picking is slim. Even children of apostolic parents don't want truth anymore. Oh, you might as well, you might as well, you might as well and say amen. There's no guarantee that your children and your children's children going to be saved because the devil is making sure that the little ones roll after the world and don't want to go after Christ. Amen. So there is a Joshua effect. Brethren, you can do anything you want to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. When I look at Joshua and Caleb going to a land that God promised them, doing what God has promised them, and they knew it was imperative to have faith. They looked at the giants. They looked at the fruit of the land. They evaluated everything. And then they came back, ten with a negative report, two with a positive report. The Lord has given the land, even though there are giants in the land, uh, I have the same strength that I have at 80 as I had at 40. Now look at that. What God gives you, he don't take away. 
You need to remember this. What God get, just cause you went in the trial, that God didn't take your strength away. Just cause you got old, God didn't take your strength away. Just because you were in the heat and you got to make a decision, God didn't take nothing from you. Oh, have mercy. And what we believe now is causing us to walk like an excuse and look like an apology. Because the same strength that I had. Oh, my God. The day that God called me, I got the same strength then that I have now. Let us go in and take the land. Let us walk in there and put up a good fight. Oh, I can't. I can't. You trying not to fight. How are you going to do this without fighting? You let the devil just rush in and rush out. Hey, you got to tell him, hey, buddy, you can't come in here like this. God has given me this land. This is my part. As for me and my house, this don't belong to you. It belongs to me and God. Lord, I wish I had a church tonight. I wish I had somebody to believe this apostolic way tonight. What you believe determines how well you fight. First Timothy, oh my Sunday, one and three. As, come on, let's read. As I brought thee to abide still to Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou might have charged some that they teach no other doctrine. There are a whole lot of doctrines out there. You're going to have to sharpen what you believe like nobody business this day. You're going to have to go back to the foundation where the apostles were and adhere to what they taught because this generation of theologians, this generation of church folk are coming up with all kinds of demonic doctrines that don't make any sense. Even down to not eating meat. Amen. And God has told us that he created the meat and this stuff is just bouncing all off the wall. They're not telling you vegetarians die too. They're not telling you uh, all this exercise and all this stress you're putting on your body, you're still going to die. Believing all this erroneous doctrine, one that I told you today, a whole churches that are getting rebaptized in Jesus' name or rebaptized, they're not saying what formula they're using now, but that is crazy. Come on. Come on. Can 
you imagine? The day would come where folks are in the church that came through the church and getting rebaptized because they don't want to. It's called repenting and getting your ugly self together. You notice I said your ugly self. Because ain't nothing cute about sin. It stinks in the nostril of God. You can sin so your praise God won't even accept. You can sin where God will, God will start smiting you with balls and plagues. Amen. He promised to curse those that do not adhere to his doctrine. Amen. And you got to determine, do I want the blessing? All the cut and ain't nobody anybody that can can see like a field. Any dumb person know right now God is visiting this world. You can lose your health overnight. You can lose your job overnight. You can lose your home overnight. Stuff you work for for you. You can lose what little few pennies you got overnight. Wake up in the morning, poor as Joe's turkey. Wake up in the morning as sick as a junkyard dog. You need somebody to fight for you while you sleep. You need somebody to be in your corner when you go on the so-called the man's job. Because the government in the world is not concerned about you. Only God is concerned about you because you made it into his kingdom and he's trying to do everything he can to make folks do right by you. I was listening to part of the news when I was, uh, we were getting ready to come to the church as we get it. They won't even pass a, a, a bill. The government is getting ready to shut down. And this basic folks' needs won't be met. What kind of mess is that? They got the money and they got the power, but they don't care nothing about you. All they care about is their pockets and their, their friends. Aren't you, you should be glad you're in a kingdom that is not controlled by this world. God will make somebody take care of you if it comes down necessary. God will make somebody do right by you if it comes down to necessary. Remember the time when our folks didn't have no credit? They, I remember mom and the man, the, the corner store will come and say, I, I, since I know you so well, I'll let you get some stuff on credit. That's the only way our folks made it. It wasn't because of charge card. God made somebody hard, tender, so that they could take care of his people. And can I tell you, if he did it one time, he can do it again. You weren't trying to steal my notes, were you? 
look at 2 Timothy 3 and 16. 